Welcome to Catholic Confessions. Hi, I'm Edith, and today I have Nicholas Tree with me. Hi. Okay, Nick is the current president of the Catholic Theology Network in Singapore. So this is an organization that is made up of lay people who are interested in theology. And since we are now approaching the most important celebration in the Catholic Church's liturgical calendar, which is Easter Sunday, so we thought it would be very relevant for us to talk about this very central theme of our faith that Jesus Christ died okay, to save humanity. Okay, so now this, this idea of the Savior of the world coming to die okay, is not something that is easily understood by a lot of us. So on a certain level, it can even seem counterintuitive. Like, um, why would a loving God send his only son to die such a tragic and horrendous death? So was, uh, was Jesus um, paying a debt that we owe to God because of our sinful ways? It was his death absolutely necessary? Okay, so over the centuries, there have been many attempts by scholars to answer these uh, questions. And we refer to them as theories or models of atonement. Okay, so it's important first to understand what atonement means because we don't use this word very often. So what does it mean? Okay, maybe I'd like to draw um, your attention to uh, uh, listeners, mostly Catholic, to the Divine Mercy Prayer. In the Divine Mercy Prayer, we pray, Eternal Father, I offer you the body and blood, soul and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. So implicitly, a Catholic would have prayed the word atonement in, uh, if he prays the divine mercy. Um, the word atonement, if you break it down, at one man. In other words, to be at one with God again, to restore the relationship. And this word is very rich because uh, to restore relationships, saying sorry alone is uh, sometimes or maybe even oftentimes not enough. It has to be a process. We first need to discover what the facts are. We need to uh, reflect on uh, why we have gone wrong. We need to repair the damage. Suppose, uh, like the prodigal son, you squander all your father's inheritance. How are you going to repair the damage? You actually cannot repair the damage. The money has gone. It's gone. You can throw yourself at the mercy of the father and your loving father can forgive you. That is not a problem. But the money which you have squandered, there's nothing you can do about it. And atonement attempts to talk about how do you really, truly restore a relationship mm. beyond just simply saying sorry and beyond simply the other person says, I forgive you. That is a necessary first step, but the full restoration of relationships would entail more. Okay, so this... More is something that we learn from the New Testament, basically. But there have been, well, it's a work of interpretation, right? So there have been different interpretations over the centuries. So we are going to look at some of these very major models of uh, atonement. Okay, so let's start with something called the ransom theory. This appears in the New Testament, right? So the idea that Jesus' death serves as a ransom for us. So the idea behind this is that mankind is in some kind of a debt okay, because of sin. In prison, actually, because of sin. Yeah, so, so it's a debt that either we owe God the Father or some might say... Belong to the devil. Yes. 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 Okay, maybe uh, C.S. Lewis is one of the modern uh, persons to 
attempt to revive the idea of the ransom theory. If you remember his book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, the character Edmund turns away from uh, goodness and goes over to the side of the White Witch. So the White Witch, of course, represents evil and so on. And Edmund is now trapped in the service of the White Witch. And to release him, Aslan confronts the White Witch and the White Witch says, you have to pay a price because he belongs to me. Aslan eventually offers himself uh, as ransom. He dies and uh, Edmund is released. That seems to be a bit strange uh, on the surface because uh, let's say somebody is held hostage. As far as the police is concerned, they do not negotiate with terrorists. So they will attempt to conduct a police raid and shoot the terrorists down. Why is, uh, you can say, Aslan doing that? Why is Jesus Christ doing that? The second dynamic we need to consider is that when we sin, we are not simply thrown in prison. We imprison ourselves and we implicitly choose a prison of our own making. We implicitly or even explicitly belong now to the devil. In other words, we give the devil authority over us. How is somebody going to ransom you if you, you yourself want to be in that prison? From there, we can understand how the Son of God can give his life as a ransom for many. The first step is to really help the person who is in this self-imposed prison recognize that he needs to try to escape. He should desire to leave this prison. So the ransom is not just simply a police raid. Because if you use a police raid on somebody who wants to be there, you release him, he will run back to the original terrorists again. So that's a kind of a, a problem yes. with the ransom that would be, theory. No, right? not so much the problem with the ransom theory. The problem with the ransom theory, if you understood it only in terms of a police raid, if we understand it in terms of the prisoner wanting to be there and the person who offers his life as ransom wanting to wake the prisoner up from his self-imposed prison, then the ransom theory begins to be powerful and begins to make sense. Okay. So, I think one of the responses to this ransom theory came from St. Anselm of Canterbury. So, he came up with something called the satisfaction theory sometime in the 12th century, right? So, it, it builds up on this idea about how sin makes us disordered and causes some kind of like cosmic imbalance that sure. will cause us to be punished. Anselm talks about the satisfaction theory in terms of God's honour. Uh, when you offend somebody, the person's honour is uh, affected. Let's say you, you offend the teacher, okay, that's fine. Uh, if you offend the principal or the minister of education, uh, that would be a bigger offence. If you offend God, who is infinite, how are you going to pay back? Anselm is not saying so much that you uh, that God doesn't forgive you. No, uh, God forgives. But how do you repair the damage done? That would be the dilemma of Anselm. His uh, famous phrase is, uh, you have not considered the weight of sin. Perhaps that is something which has been lost in our preaching today. We take sin too lightly. And Anselm says, you have not considered the weight of sin. Uh, there is a need for reparation when we deal with sin. Saying sorry alone doesn't solve all problems. Okay. Because saying sorry alone very often doesn't repair the damage done. Another analogy I use, I'm a history teacher. Suppose in the Japanese occupation, a Japanese soldier captures your family and executes them 
And uh, 50 years later, your Japanese soldier comes to you and say, I've been, I'm now a Christian. Can I apologize? Can, I, can you forgive me? And you say, yes. In reparation, in atonement for my sins, can I commit seppuku in front of you? Does it solve the problem, committing suicide? It doesn't solve the problem. Your family will not rise again from the dead. Who can solve the problem? Anstom then proposes Jesus, the God-man. He is man, so he can be the representative of all men to offer reparation to the Father. He is God, so his sacrifice will be infinite. Therefore, Jesus Christ is the representative. You are a Christian now. You trust in the mercy of Jesus. I am Christian now. I trust in the new and everlasting covenant, the Eucharist. This is my blood poured out for you. In that new and everlasting covenant, there will be restoration. Your act of seppuku, etc. will not restore things. That would be, I would argue, the strength of the satisfaction theory. To take, consider fully the weight of sin and the necessary reparation. Mm. And uh, this theory was uh, built upon sometime during the Protestant Reformation, right? By Calvin and Martin Luther. Luther. Yes. So they came up with something else called the penal substitution. Penal substitution is modification, in my view, a problematic one of uh, what Anselm intended. The argument of penal substitution goes as follows. You have sinned. God is going to punish you. The sentence is death. But for some reason, his son Jesus Christ offers to die on your behalf. In other words, instead of pouring his righteous wrath on you, he pours his wrath on his son Jesus Christ. And because of that, you are saved because somebody else absorbs all the wrath. There is something to be said for this theory. It certainly takes the weight of sin carefully. Mm -hmm. It certainly talks about the importance of God's justice. It, it certainly talks about the price which has to be paid when we talk about sin. The problem perhaps with penal substitution is the seemingly bloodthirsty nature of the father needing to discharge his wrath on an innocent person. If people are innocent, they ought not to discharge their wrath. If a judge were to sentence a man to death and the mother offers to die on the son's behalf, a sensible, a decent judge will say, uh, please don't do that. Mm -hmm. I will not say yes, his son has to answer for his sins. That would be what a decent person would do. But if that's the case, God the Father would not seem to be decent at all because he would be the judge who says, yes, no problem. You, the innocent mother, you, the innocent brother, you, the innocent father, can die for your wicked son's behalf. It doesn't seem to make sense on a human level uh, when we understand the human goodness and so on. I don't think it will make sense on the divine level. So uh, penal substitution may give a certain uh, sinister image of God which to me is unwarranted. Nevertheless, I know penal substitution is uh, preached in Protestant circles. One famous preacher in Singapore preaches it in the following manner. Jesus has paid everything on the cross. So you do not need to then obsess over your sinfulness and so on because it has been paid in full when his father discharges his wrath on the son. So if it is paid in full, you are then free from sin and guilt and so on. 
insofar as attempting to help people to overcome their guilt feelings and so on, my personal critique of such an approach is that it may give people the false impression without it intending it to be, I can then therefore sin and sin boldly because uh, after all, the price has been paid in full by Jesus already. doesn't make any sense to me. I stopped taking drugs, for example. That's good. My wife has forgiven me because I, I used to be a drug addict. So since my wife has forgiven me, I go back and take drugs again. Does it even make sense? I don't think it does. Perhaps that's something which uh, one of the weaknesses of penal substitution. Okay, so uh, since Anson's theory can um, maybe appear quite abstract on a certain level, okay, let us try to capture the gist of it through using a certain story as an analogy. Well, one way is to uh, imagine, for example, a wayward son uh, causing a lot of tension for his parents to the extent that one of them gets a stroke. Uh, the wayward son comes to his senses, asks his parents for forgiveness. Parent being loving forgives the son. But if the son is truly sorry, he knows that he has done grave damage to both the health and the relationship of the parent. A stroke is not something which can be solved with a magic wand. The wayward son would want to make reparation for his actions which indirectly cause his parents to have a stroke. And uh, if he thinks about it, he can't actually pay back in a physical sense because the stroke has its own uh, logic and the mom or dad has to recover accordingly or maybe will never recover. In this light, only trusting in Jesus Christ will you be able to recognize that you can ultimately pay back because Jesus is truly God. His offering is infinite. He's truly man. He can be your representative. So in this case, while uh, he has to trust in the merits of Christ, Jesus' death and reconciliation to pay back his parents. So on the one hand, when trusting in Christ, uh, he doesn't need to feel guilty. But yet on the other hand, he recognizes the weight of sin. Okay, thank you, Nate, for the example. Okay, now, theories are not perfect. Okay, and satisfaction theory has its criticisms. For example, I can ask, so if Jesus' death was all that was needed to fulfill the debt of honor, then how about his resurrection? And also, where does God's love and mercy feature in all of this? I will leave you with these questions to think about. And this brings us to the end of part one of this podcast. We have briefly discussed Jesus' death as, number one, a ransom to save us from the prison we are in due to sin. Number two, as the only way to pay the debt of honor we owe to God. And number three, as a punishment that Jesus took on as a substitute for us. We have a part two of the podcast where we will explore more theories of atonement so that we can have a more informed and holistic understanding of Jesus' saving work on the cross. We hope that you can join us for part two and thank you for listening. For more confessions, do check out our website and Facebook page.